Hello and welcome back to Contractor Evolution. I've been thinking about this question a lot lately. Why do so many contractors claim to thrive on chaos? Like, is there something about the entrepreneurial journey that attracts the tormented soul? Or is it the journey of small business itself that causes this discord inside us? I'm not sure I know the answer, but one thing that does seem abundantly clear is that if we don't tame the chaos within, it expresses itself, it even amplifies itself on the outside. Our frantic and reactive energy rubs off on the people we lead. Our scarcity mindset causes us to push and drive and sell at a rate that seemingly no one can keep up with. The incredibly high standard that we hold for ourselves and for our team, which on one hand helped us build the reputation we have, but on another hand spiritually exhausts us as nothing and no one, ourselves included, is ever good enough. Okay, I'm being a little woo-woo here, so let me bring this down to a very practical level. Chaotic leadership doesn't scale. The obsessive, almost manic energy that you use to get the wheels in motion at the beginning is now turning away the high performers you need to build something truly sustainable. It's also, by the way, robbing you of the joy you thought you'd get by being self-employed and charting your own course. What's the point in material wealth if it costs us our spiritual health? If you're in a chapter of your growth where you're tired, like really tired, wondering why you started this thing in the first place, dealing with this ambient anxiety you can't quite put your finger on, or your personal relationships are suffering due to the demands of your business, this episode is for you. John DeWall is the founder of Liminal Space, an organization dedicated to helping leaders thrive as they navigate the intensity of organizational, professional, and personal change. He's also the one-on-one -on -one coach to one of our co-founders, Danny Kerr, who insisted we have him on, and you'll see why. So without further ado, let's dive in with John DeWall. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. John, it's really good to see you, man. Welcome to Contractor Evolution. I'm so grateful to be here. So good to spend the time with you, Benji. Thanks. So um, we were kind of chatting offline, joking about this. There's a very common trope, a very common adage with entrepreneurs and contractors specifically. Uh, and they'll, yeah, they say it to me. They've said it to you hundreds, if not thousands of times. It's this bit where they go, you know, John, I, I really thrive on risk. Yeah. What what goes through your mind when you hear someone give you the I thrive on risk soundbite? Well, immediately my gut feels suspect. I feel a sense of suspect, uh, but curiosity, because maybe the way they're going to define it as we talk, it, it will be a story of thriving. But I would say most of the time it's not. So when I hear that, I just want to hear, like, how do you define thrive? And they'll start telling me stories about this thing they started, this business venture they got going, all of the success that came out of that, the three or four other things that they started and, you know, the things they bought and the risks they took to do that. And it just keeps going. But then when they start, you know, teasing out a few more details, like, yeah, I really stressed out my wife or my spouse. And, you know, you hear these little data points and you realize like, well, it sounds like one part of your life, a very small part of your life, 
might be thriving, but it doesn't sound like it's true for the whole of your life. It feels rather chaotic. Uh, and the way that word begins to actually show up as they talk about thriving, uh, we begin to shift to that word. Like, uh, actually, that doesn't sound like thriving. I think it's, it's, mis it's misnamed. It's chaotic. It's maybe just surviving, actually. And they've, totally. Yeah. Totally. And they've, they've honed uh, exceptional skills in the art of surviving, uh, in the art of keeping things going. This, this idea of like um, a, a chaos within, and that's actually not a terrible title. I mean, we might use that, is I think quite prevalent and quite widespread with contractors and, and and small business owners, entrepreneurs, broadly speaking, there seems to be this chaos within them. How, is that something that you see? Uh, how, how would you define that? What's what's your take on this idea of a, of a chaos within? I think it has to do with the energies of anxiety, fear, insecurity, um, a scarcity mindset, uh, with that, some of the emotions that might be really rough, uh, anger, even rage. There's some arrogance, perhaps, a blind ambition. It's all of those energies. And I think the key phrase is they've gone rogue or unchecked. They're unexamined. Uh, they're the energies that are writing the pen. They're holding the pen to the story and not the individual conscious of how all of that's being written out as the story unfolds for the day, for the week, the year, the thing they're creating. Um, and all of that without any consciousness, that's what yields the chaos inside. I think it's, uh, it, it's impossible to eradicate those energies. Um, what is possible is to bring awareness to them, um, to bring understanding to them, to know how they're fueling our actions and our behaviors. And if we don't, those things end up undermining what we want to create. They, they serve in many ways like a thief. They steal away the potential of what could be. Um, decisions feel more like you're operating like you're in a life raft, not on a ship. You're doing survival activities. You're reacting like you're in a survival story rather than a ship that's actually designed for rough waters. Uh, you might actually be a pirate or, uh, and not actually a captain. Uh, you, you might actually have decisions that are rooted in a scarcity mindset and not something that has more of a foundational, solid, confident, we're going to get through this together as we man this ship together. As you talk about this, I, I find myself wondering, like, and I'll just think through this out loud, like, are people with a chaotic interior world, a chaotic soul, if you want to call it, a chaotic inner lived experience are they attracted to entrepreneurship or does or or is entrepreneurship a free-for-all and it's and it's the being the business owner being the leader that creates the chaos within it's a bit of a catch-22 like is and maybe it's a bit of both like but that. that's what i'm wondering it's like are most entrepreneurs just have this like you know highly motivated highly driven super capable but also kind of um you know inner <laughs> landscape <laughs> Or does, mm -hmm. or does the act of being in business create that within them? I'll just speak from my experience. I, I think it's, it's the experience of, of the container, that being a business owner, an entrepreneur, 
that provides them to take all that energy inside them, the DNA of who they are, their skills, their ambition, and apply that somewhere. Because they're, they're probably not going to survive all that well when they're sitting at a desk and someone is telling them what to do. Uh, that, that's not my experience of most entrepreneurs. It's the freedom to move and to have the control that they're looking for in that particular environment. So I think like, do you, and do you, do you talk about this with, with the, with the, the people you work with this idea of like, you have some, some tremendous gifts and talents and, and God given stuff that make you who you are. But with that package also comes, um, this underbelly, uh, you know, this, now I don't want to get too esoteric and use too much woo woo language, but you might call it like, you know, the shadow self, whatever. It's like, Hey, there's a lot of really good, you're highly creative. You're good at motivating people. You're a good problem solver. You're a persuasive speaker. So you can sell jobs and convince people to work for you. You've got hard work ethic. Blah, so that's all good. But along with that comes this other, like, is that, is that kind of how you frame it and how you talk about it with, with your clients? I, I, always. I, I think, I mean, you named it really well. We all have a shadow self. It doesn't matter who we are as human beings. There's just parts of us that are unfinished, right? And so during certain moments of our life, when we're willing to look at it, we're going to look at the glory, the goodness, the things that you bring to bear in your life, in your business, your family relationships that are really, really good. And there's also stuff that you know yourself are undermining that. And both are important to know. Both are important to have an awareness of and actually like do something about because that's the beauty of being a human being. We have some choice here, right? We bring awareness to both things. Uh, we can choose how we want to engage when we stumble and fail and fall and you know mess things up, whatever that looks like. And the same thing, we can engage also with our gifts and our strengths and how those get more nutrients to go further with. We're going to talk about sort of how to limit the downside while maximizing the upside, because I think, you know, we're going to have this conversation today, but with this whole genre of discussion, self-help, working with a counselor, working with a guide, whatever, I, I, I suspect that there's a fear with entrepreneurs about, you know, I, I'm not really that interested because I don't want to lose... I think they're scared they're going to lose the good stuff also. So it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I could like go, but then I'll become soft. And then like mm -hmm. that. So it's like, yeah, I'll be better. I'd be a better husband for my wife. I'd be a better wife for my husband or whatever. But my employees wouldn't respect me anymore. My business results would suffer. So uh, is, is that true? And maybe two-part question, can you add on to it? Like, what are some of the downstream effects that you see when this, when the, when the downside, the shadow self kind of isn't tamed, isn't controlled? Yeah. I mean, it's such a, that, that that's a very, I feel that myself. Like <laughs> if I'm going to be asked to grow in certain areas, what's the, what's the impact on these things that I'm keeping going the way that they're going? And will I have to give up more over there? Right. And and that's that that experience of either this or this is a false binary. Um, it's rarely one or the other that we're being asked to choose or let go of, but it's that third way. Um, there is a better way if we settle into that space a little bit longer, stretch it out a little bit more, seek to understand it. And none of the change, none of the growth that you may need to step into as a leader is going to happen quickly. It's going to take some time, a gradual conversation that's not going to nuke your life, 
but it's going to ask you to bring awareness to some key areas where you have these beliefs that are guiding how you how you make choices, that chaos, right? The the beliefs that are guiding the feelings and the thinking and with that, the actions. We need to slow some of that down and understand it. Uh, you have to bring awareness to that and transform some of that. And it may actually show up in the way eventually how you strategize the decisions you make as a business, what you choose to say yes to or no to what people you bring on, what people you let go of. None of that's going to happen quickly, especially if the stakes are high. What are some of the negative downstream effects that you see leaders suffer from, both in the both on the business front and then on the personal life front, when they leave that chaos within completely untamed, completely untethered, yeah. not addressed yeah. for 10 years, 20 years, whatever. What actually happens? Yeah. Well, a lot of the clients I work with, when they show up at my office or online in front of me, they're experiencing a deep level of exhaustion. Um, they're coming to terms with, I have built this thing, I have created this company, and there's something not working, and I don't know how to get my mind around it. And I don't really have many places to talk about this, both like, in, I need to understand it, but it needs to change what I do, how I act. So most of them are at just this deep, like soul level exhaustion. Uh, and they need some care, they need some help. Um, so that's, that's so, so common. What do you think and they're so that, exhausted by? It's one of the things that I think is just part of being a small business owner and entrepreneur is you are inundated day after day, month after month, year after year with change. You go through so many changes in the business, in the business cycle, with your clients, your customers, all those different external pressures that are happening, as well as the opportunities you're going after. It's constant. So for a, a small business owner, I think different than... You know, the normal guy who's got this job, you know, working for this company has to deal with change constantly. And so that that has a shaping effect, right? Because you're constantly looking for what needs your attention over and over and over again. It's this amplified life of change and transition. So your mind is always looking for the external threats and opportunities that you have to respond to. Your mind and your activity is externally focused. And we forget that as human beings, the way we uh, uh, go through that happens also at an interior level. There's something happening in each of us as we face uncertainty. And that's what change is, right? Uncertainty is all that stuff that's happening around us settling inside of us mm -hmm. in the form of various stress hormones, it's mm -hmm. inevitable, right? We go through every day that's going to happen. All of that lives inside us. And that's an important data point that a lot of leaders aren't paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're not listening to what's going on, on the inside. At a very basic level, they might not ha have healthy habits. You know, they're not exercising. Uh, they, they don't eat well. Um, they may be going through something relationally that's bringing all this to bear, whether it's a divorce or conflict in their key relationship, a business partner, uh, they just sense or know like they know, like they know that something's not operating like it should. So I think the, the conditions of change and a lack of paying attention to uh, all the effects of that have had a wear and tear on the small business owner, mm. and it's finally catching up to them, mm. uh, the cumulative effect of all of that. So it's a chance to really like slow down and pay attention to all that. Um, and part of what 
yielded all that is on some level not not them who chose that. We live in a culture that's just guided by a lot of hustle, a lot of like get or done energy, a lot of willfulness that like really tackles the thing in front of you and like thrives and celebrates the person who's going to work 70 or 80 hours a week to make it all work, right? Yeah. Um, you actually look at individuals like that and quite often they're, they're not only do they operate that, it leaks into the business, all of their employees operate that way. Their families even look like that. Like when they go on vacations, it doesn't sound restful. Like these are adrenaline junkie vacations where there's just very little time just going from one thing to the next to the next mm-hmm. um, and not really settling into an experience of rest. Rarely sitting around a dinner table together enjoying a meal. It's just go, go, go. Yeah. Uh, so, so that kind of hustle grinding culture um, really catches up with a person after a while. You can't maintain that for the entirety of your life. At least that's what most clients that I work with get to that realization of, I don't want to keep doing this. This isn't working. It's um, the, like the visual that comes to mind is like this massive, uh, you know, if you if you went to Chuck E. Cheese's as a kid, as I did, you go play, <laughs> wha- you go play whack-a-mole. But yeah. this is a 360-degree whack-a-mole with like six levels. And, yeah. and and the moles just come out faster and harder. And when yeah. you don't hit them, they shock you. Like, it's like just picture yeah. the most like comical, like insane type carnival game where you, at first there's a dopamine hit because you hit one or two or three in a row. And then by your 5,000th iteration of it, you're probably feeling pretty tired and I don't want to play this game anymore. (laughs) Let's go do go-karts. But so like, so here's a question because I don't think that I I doubt, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't, I bet you when they come and sit down on the couch, John, they're not like, Hey John, I, I'm really dealing with some spiritual exhaustion as a result of blah, blah, blah. So like, what are they saying? Like, like (laughs) what, like when, what are the words? Hey, I'm, I'm tired. I'm stressed. I keep losing employees. Uh, my my marriage is on the brink of divorce. Like, what's the more symptomatic level of this? Well, the they've built something that now is running them, rather than they running their business and it's serving them. Uh, they are they are enslaved to it. Uh, I'm thinking about one client in particular who buys and sells commercial buildings. And there's something in that that he's really gifted at. He's exceptionally good at doing that work. And he's attracted this group of very loyal employees that would take a bullet for him. They just love him and he loves them. And yet the entire culture is just being run ragged by purchase after purchase and all the things that come with each building and all the stuff that lands on everybody's plate and desk. And this level of chaos within the leader who feels like he can't say no because it's a good deal. Why would I say no to that? I got to go after that. And it results in that spilling out into the entire team. And I think that's just an important thing for us as small business owners. If we don't really seek to understand what's driving and fueling the the energy there, it'll transmit into the team. Mm-hmm. It'll If it is not transformed in you, it will trans, it will transmit into the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll feel it. Your, your loved ones will feel it. Mm-hmm. Chaos spreads, right? Um, so when, when I sit with someone and they are talking about what they've created, there's just an immense amount of pressure and they don't know how to get out from underneath it. 
they've created something that really it is cool. It's good. There's profitability. There's there's good team members. There's beautiful outcomes with happy customers. There are good things there, um, but they've been focused so much on the thing that they're creating and trying to keep afloat and going and growing that they, there's there's something of a wasteland inside them, a hollowing out inside them that they know they can't continue, uh, but don't know how to how to get out from it as well. Right. Trapped. It's a bind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, we're going to get to this. Uh, we're going to get to some really practical kind of like steps. And you've put together a list of just like baseline entry level, like do this for an immediate result type stuff. But I, I thought it would be interesting just to have a, a more nuanced understanding of the problem. Yeah. Can you take us through a list and expand on some of the most common patterns that you see in the leaders that you work with. Some of these, let's call them chaos patterns. What What's the list? Mm -hmm. And then just, you know, give us a paragraph on each one. I like to use the word safety a lot with the leaders that I'm working with. It feels like a soft word to many of them, but it's a really important word for us to understand. So I think one of the first chaos myths uh, in leadership that I see is Safety is found when I get all the work done. Safety is found when I've checked all the boxes, my Asana looks clean or whatever your task manager is. Safety is found when all the work is done. Um, that simply on a, on a basic body level is not true. Okay, well, that's news to me. I don't. Sorry to cut you off, but yeah. when I have a big list on a Friday and it, there's a and it's usually a piece of paper. Uh, yeah. and it's, there's 20 things on it. When I hit, when I hit pen to paper and I cross off that last yeah. thing and I crumple it up and I put it in the bin, I do get, I do get some little hit of some, I don't know, may, maybe it's not the right there's neurochemical, there but I'm sure. definitely getting something. Are you saying that that's not actually, that's not it? I'm saying it's not enough. Um, I think I feel the same thing too. Um, but why is it when more often than not, when I've done that, and I've seen other leaders do this all the time, that evening, that weekend, they're on edge and something happens and they blow up at one of their kids or their spouse and, and they're edgy. They're just edgy or there's a restlessness there. There's an agitation there. There's, there's a buildup within them that has not been released. That's happened on a daily basis or a week. It, it just happens in their life. And that, that to me is a good data point that there is a buildup of something within them physiologically that needs to be released. So most, most leaders don't know how to speak the language of their body. Mm -hmm. They don't know, even as I ask them, tell me what you are physically feeling. Tell me what your emotions are right now as you talk about what the word thriving mm -hmm. looks like to you. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lack of language to describe that mm -hmm. um, because it's go, 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 task, task, task. Um, and in, in an attempt to feel safe and handle all the dangers that are going on around them or seeking out all the opportunities that are going around them. So all that adrenaline or like all that cortisol, all the stuff in our bodies that's coursing through our, through our veins continues to operate at a certain level. And that's where that, I think from, you know, I don't know enough about all this, but I think that's a lot of what's going on in that hustle mindset. And in our hustle culture, we're just really jacked up on all those stress hormones that right. have been running like out of control, that we don't know how to bring our bodies down to a place of calm. And that is one of the 
basic skills as a human being that we need to learn. It's not indifferent. Like it's not, we're not that different from, you know, the, the gazelle that outruns the cheetah and gets back to the herd. The first thing you'll see that gazelle do is shake its body. And there's something important happening in that moment. It's releasing all that stuff that's been built up from hauling to get away from that cheetah, right? To say, I'm safe. I can go back to managing the food intake, mating activities, you name it, right? That kind of stuff is happening. For, it's the same for us as human beings. We need to speak at the body level. So, because safe. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to ask like, okay, so I, I totally hear you. And when you say, when you describe it the way like, oh, yeah, but throughout the weekend, like Saturday, you're still kind of on edge, even though the Asana dashboard is cleaned up and you hit the punch list and you got it done by 6 p.m. on a Friday and you went and had a beer. You're still like I'm like I can still be kind of a dick Saturday afternoon. Right. <laughs> like that's me. That's yeah. that's my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then what what's the what's the contractor's equivalent of the gazelle shaking their body? Like what's an actual practical thing that helps us bring that so that Saturday through Sunday I'm like the more organic Benji, not this like keyed up cortisol spiked Benji. Yeah, well we'll get to some practices here in a little bit, but there's like literally thousands upon thousands of things you could you could choose. Um, and you could do this throughout your day. For example, you know, I work with clients, some of them are like going through some really difficult stuff. I might watch something funny in between sessions on YouTube, you know, through a comedian, Gaffigan, just to laugh. Right. <laughs> just to like have that energy inside me, like settling my body. In the evening, going for a walk, exercise, laughter and play with your kids or your spouse, playing some kind of sport. Do, often physical activity is one of the best ways to signal to our bodies that we can actually feel safe mm. on the ground here now. Um, and so the, learning, like, what is that for you? What is that for you? Could be just a good, nice, long hug when you walk through the door. And instead of your, your spouse or your partner saying, we've got this thing that we got to do right now, here, help. Like, just give me a hug. I need a hug. The the activity or the ritual or whatever I, it sounds to me like is some somewhat arbitrary. Although I'm you know maybe physical Very. exertion kind of helps because there's you know yep. something that happens what whatever. But uh, the idea so what the the, the ritual is arbitrary. You can kind of make it your own. You can customize yep. it to your lifestyle and your family dynamics and whatever. But I think the idea, uh, the central idea, or the myth you want to bust here is that. Getting it done, crossing the last thing off the list, ain't it. It's actually something else. You know, you need, you need to add on to it. Yeah. And when you're doing those things, you're actually speaking the language of your body. You're not telling your body, hey, man, you're safe. Just chill out. Mm. Like, no, you're doing something that physically is letting your body experience a level of safety, calm. You're going from a stress level of eight down to a more manageable four or five. Mm. Whatever that may be for you. The point is you're doing it and you're doing it consistently and you know it works for you. You're not doing it because you heard about this guru who's doing it. You're just, you know, like cold baths. Like that's a super it's very, popular It's very right trending now. right now. It's very buzzy right now. <laughs> right. Can everyone calm down on the cold plunges, please? <laughs> please. Sincerely. You're not going to hear I'm it sure. on this podcast. <laughs> Good God. But someone's Give making a, break, a big guys. buck off of oh that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> um, but you're doing it 
and it works for you and you're doing it like your life depends upon it because it does. The good life depends upon it. What are um, what are some of these other chaos, chaos myths, chaos patterns? <laughs> Here's another one. A myopic understanding that the good life, the good business is centered around profitability. Mm. Um, profitability is one small metric of a successful business. And I get it. Like at the end of the day, if the business isn't making money, you're not in business and you can't feed all these lives, including yourself. And... What about the metrics of time, energy, relational uh, space to actually have friendships? I was talking to a business owner recently. He could literally not tell me one person that he would, that he would qualify as a friend. Hmm. He has been working 70, 80-hour weeks for the last decade of his life. Hmm. And this is a good man, worthy of good friendship. Uh, very successful financially speaking, that's a life. That's a story to me. That's not something I would want to seek after. And I think most of us don't. So expanding the metrics for success in your life, not just the metrics of profitability, I think is a huge part of doing something about the chaotic energy within you. People are tunnel visioned on material success. They're they're tunnel visioned Completely. on the PNL of the business or the the revenue right. or the growth of the team. I mean, we we've on other podcasts discussed this idea of like vanity metrics versus sanity metrics, right? And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. you know, revenue is a vanity metric. Profit is a sanity metric, we would say. I mean, maybe there's others, but uh, totally. like be like be you're, How about you're the joy metric? The joy. Okay, so that's where I was going to go with this. What's what? What are what's a practical step to help you know this client like you just mentioned? Good man, worthy of friendships, but is doing 70, 80 hours a week for however long. How do how do you expand the awareness to to the other many other slices of the pie that is life? If you looked at life as a pie, there would be yeah. you know it would, it would be cut up in a whole def- many, many different places. And you're saying most people are kind of just zoomed in on one. So wh- what's the process to expand someone's awareness to the others? Well, you got to want to, you got to want a more expansive pie, right? You got to want it first. And by bringing awareness to this conversation around friendship, there's this ache that he's beginning to speak to and talking about that. There's a loneliness there, uh, a sense of desire for something great. Well, let's talk about the particularity of things that you enjoy doing, the things that you enjoy spending your time engaged in that perhaps are outside of work. He's a pilot. He owns a plane. Are you a part of any pilot clubs? No. Okay. Before we meet next, you got to come to me with a list of, of clubs that are specifically around flying, and you're going to reach out to them and see if there's any kind of meetings coming up. Because if, if, if we see all this stuff about your life and you don't do something with it, there will be no transformation. You will not change the story of success. It'll be the same rinse and repeat. So it asks each person, if you're going to do that, you've got to consider what it means to vulnerably lean into an insight. Vulnerably take on, choose something, try something that's different, new, right? That will yield more learning more eye-opening, more like, oh, there's a bit more joy here. I'm, I, like, I like this. I like that person. I, like, I see something emerging here. Or, ah, that didn't go well. I got to try something else. It's all learning, 
right? And expanding that word success to have a richer story, a richer meaning attached to it. If you were to uh, like take the myopic approach to success to its final conclusion, were it uninterrupted, what does that look like 40 years down the road? Gaining the world and losing your soul. Right. Right. It's having all of the money that you set out to build and get and no one's there around your bed um, watching you die, holding your hand. That's the worst case scenario. There's something interesting there, not to get too kind of like artsy fartsy here, but that is an archetypal character in in literature and in philosophy. The miser, the Grinch, yep. the the um, Scrooge. Like this is yep. this is a this is embedded into the very like old stories and myths. It's biblical. Like it's it goes all the way back. We see it everywhere. So this is like that outcome is A, bad, but B, been known as bad for at least a couple thousand years um, <laughs> because we're talking about it and writing about it as something you want to avoid. Um, yeah. What are some it's of these? Not new lo- it's not new knowledge. It's not new. What are some of these? What are so- Although I will say the environment is new and the mechanisms totally. needed to actually avoid that are new. And, and we'll get to that in a second. A- any yeah. other kind of like chaos patterns you want to hit, be- hit here before we get to the get to the some of the rituals and practices? I see a lot of people overusing a strength or a skill. And by doing so, it becomes a liability. Okay. So, for example, worked with a contractor, a business owner, started a business seven, eight years ago, super successful here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, makes a lot of great money. Um, and he, if you experience this guy, like you get why, like he's super professional. You just like, you know how has people as, as they talk, they just totally. lose professionalism. Um, you just know you're going to the conversation is going to stay here. It's going to be all about business trends, what's going on in the market, things you're doing in your business, blah, 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 all that stuff. Exceptionally professional. Everyone on his team knows it and no one on his team trusts him. Interesting. So he is, he is, he is skilled. He has built a good, he's got a sharp mind for business. He did it really quickly, went from like zero to I think 30 or 40 million, if I remember correctly, in a, in a span of eight years. Like that's a, that's a good wow. trend. Yeah. Right. So all of that being what it is, is a beautiful thing on one level. And yet when you look at his life, it's an overused strength, that business mind that has pushed people away from him. And most don't want much to do with him from a relationship standpoint. Why? Most of the, why, why, you know, I, and we, we, there's confidential stuff, obviously you can't share, but like, yeah. what's, but I think you can probably speak about the patterns. Like what's, is it the fact that he's polished that makes people distrust him or is it something else? It's part of it, but it's that sense of like, this guy's not operating like a human being. Uh, like where's, where is the personal side of who you I are that begins to show up? Right. Because when we're working for someone, when we're part of something, we want to feel like we can show up as whole people. And if the guy in charge or the gal in charge is not a whole person or trying to lead in a whole way, it's not creating safety for others to do the same. Mm -hmm. And so everyone on his team had this generalized like distrust of getting close to him. I'm not going to show you my humanity because you're not showing me any of yours. So that's really hard to trust. It's the, um, 
it's like he's like a video game character entrepreneur or like a <laughs> like a entre, like a business owner he's a business yeah. robot like it's so yeah. it's so calculated it's so measured yeah. it's cognitively so advanced but he probably would never admit to making a mistake he would not air out his dirty laundry and as a result people don't they feel like they're playing they feel like they're talking to an npc not an actual human being <laughs> yeah. right 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 totally that's exactly it and and so the experience of that over time like here's an everyday example you know you're walking by someone's office a guy like this is he going to enjoy standing in someone's doorway that works for him and talking to them is he going to enjoy that 5 10 15 minutes to connect and see that as a valuable part of his day no, mm -hmm. it's going to be a waste of time. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a guy could be doing something else to make this thing more efficient and better. I could be handling those tasks that are on my plate right now. And we'll miss the opportunity to be seen and known himself and see that person as well and build the trust between the two of them. Like, ah, we're human beings working together on this ship, handling and doing dif difficult things, creating this thing together. That's a beautiful thing. And, and for him, that's an over, that's just a great example of an overused skill and an underused relational set of skills. But the overused skill can take a million different forms, can it not? Like totally. The, like, so, so, I mean, just give, give us a couple other examples, like quick hits. Like, so, like, yeah. I, I, you know what? And the, you know what this uh, sort of reminds me of is that, if, is that saying is, you know, if, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. It's like, that's, <laughs> yeah. If you're right. a taskmaster, everything looks like yeah. a task. If you're a rapport yeah. builder, everything looks like a conversation waiting to be had. If you're a really good salesperson, yeah. everything looks like a persuasion conversation. You end, you, so you end up like overutilizing this totally. thing, but then it backfires eventually. Yeah, yeah. Here's here's one that's more on the relational skill: the leader that loves to build collaboration, really good at bringing people into the conversation again and again and again, like. And yet, like, sometimes you just got to make a decision. You don't have time to execute on collaboration. You just got to choose. And so does that mask an insecurity? Is that what that's about? Is there, I mean, there's something really good, right, about, about that. But sometimes you just got to choose the overuse of that strength. Or the leader who's got a thousand ideas, right? They have folders in their computer with lots of ideas that they could just like really turn on at any moment and therefore take the business in a whole different direction and everyone along with it, yeah. right? Um, I'm sure some of that might resonate for you. Yeah, you got you to so, beware of the ideas, guys. <laughs> you got to approach with caution. Right, but we love them too oh, totally. because like we're stuck. We need some ideas, some fresh thinking. Like, or where is this all going? We need some some seers who can help us help us get there and and the ideas to go with it. Yeah, so that's another another common one. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. So, yeah, yeah. Overusing so, a skill. Like, yeah, right. And so the awareness of that, and then how to utilize those skills for uh, your your benefit and the team's benefit. When to dial those down what a, what blind spots are are there alongside those overused skills those are all questions to be examining in light of that chaotic pattern mm -hmm. and then all tied into this conversation is this ability to unlearn your story unlearn the guiding beliefs within your story so now it's now we, we sound really now we sound really woo woo whenever whenever the term yeah, yeah. unlearn comes up i'm like oh here we go so make yeah. so so <laughs> Make this make sense for for 
for us, for 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 like a blue collar audience? What? How does this idea yeah. of unlearning really impact or uh, or add value to to the life of a, of a business owner in this space? Yeah, totally. Well, just the basic uh, principle here is that beliefs and feelings drive thinking and action. That's one of my core biases and beliefs about how all of this works together. So where do those beliefs come from? They come from experiences, from narrative, from stories. You, client, or you individual, have a rather chaotic approach to your business choices. Mm-hmm. Um, this client that, that had that that I'm thinking of right now, when we explored it a little further, the underlying beliefs there, uh, part of it was like, I've got to, it'd be stupid not to buy this. Well, well, how did that come to be? You weren't born with that belief. Well, then he went on to tell me his relationship with his father. And not to, again, sound too therapeutic here, but there's a story there. And he's like, my dad was so conservative. He was so passive about how he spent money. He was always scared of taking risks. And when I would choose to take risk with something, he would look at me with this look of judgment and go like, why would you buy that? So every time he makes a purchase, he's, he's seeing, oh, I'm doing this because I'm kind of giving the finger to my dad. Right. That, that's what it's about for him. <laughs> totally. So to unlearn, like bring awareness, that's the, there's a core narrative there guiding the story that I am just going to buy it because it'd be stupid not to. The unlearning is from that to, I'm going to make purchases that consider my own well-being and that of my teams that's also guided by a strategy and a company that knows who it is. Yeah. Right? So that's, that's deeper work. But if, if we as business owners and entrepreneurs don't do that kind of work, we're just changing the furniture in the room. Right. And if, the, the story, the transformation you're seeking and wanting has, has deeper work. There's deeper work there to do. The thing is, like, beliefs are parked way back there, right? And so right. I've always found it really difficult to get there. Um Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think for a lot of people, sometimes there's like a really, o- sometimes it's really obvious. Oh, I was, had this horrific thing happen to me in my childhood and that's made me this yeah. way. It's, it's sort of like, and that's not to diminish the value of that, but it is fairly apparent. And then for other people, it's really not that obvious. Like it's, you'd really have to work at it. And it sounds like 12 ses- sessions with a counselor and a bunch of journaling right. to find it, to finally find the thing that's influencing the way, you know, it's like if anyone watched the, the what has seen Inception, which almost everyone has, ha- they need to go inside the dream, inside the dream, inside the dream. It's like, well... <laughs> That's a lot. It's just like a lot of like it's layers. A lot of work. That's a lot of layers. Have you found anything in your work that's just like really practical and really helpful questions that you ask, reflection exercise? I don't know. It's like something that helps people get to that stuff that's baked baked in way back there just a little bit faster or at least start pointing them in the right direction. Right, right. There's usually a story that needs to be told. There are stories that need to be told. So um, one of the things I'll do with a lot of leaders is tell me two or three stories where you know you struggled in your leadership. And I, I ask them to get granular, like take me into the soil of the story. When did it start? Who was there? 
What were you facing? What was the opportunity? Who said what? When was the moment of really big conflict or was it a slow burn? Like really step into the stories and tell them. Because if we get into the particularity of the stories, we can then begin to hear some of the beliefs that were driving the behaviors. Well, why did you do that so quickly? Well, I felt like we didn't have time. We, we don't have time. We don't have time to slow down. Like, well, why did you lowball that customer? Because I was, a fear, I was afraid that if, if I didn't, they would say no, and then we would be out of work. But wait a second. I thought you just told me in the story that you actually had six months of work booked. Mm, mm-hmm. So you, you lowballed the price. Why? Like, if, as we keep unpacking the story and hear some of the guiding belief in that, the why might lead to, like, I just don't think I'm worth it. And collectively, as a group of leaders on my team, we don't think we're worth it. And so we operate with a lot of lean, desperate, scarce energy in how we go about doing our lives and how we go about doing this work. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always a story, in my experience with leaders, that needs to be stepped into, into a little bit further to understand, like, how did it come about? Let's slow it down. Let's stretch it out. And understand some of the why, the belief, the core motivation there that led to the outcome. And if you hear that across multiple stories, you have a pretty solid pattern. Yeah. And then you could go like, well, we can keep digging. Or you can go do something different in the next moment that comes with leadership challenge. And we can talk about that and strategize and coach you through that. Um, and, boy, this would be a good set of, of data points to bring to a good counselor or therapist and dig a little further. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, what I find fascinating about what you just said is, like, I think in this uh, North American kind of business thoughtosphere that we live in, there's a real emphasis and a real desire to be and a desire to appear outwardly as very logical, very cerebral, very rational I mean, how many times are you going to hear a business guru say, you need to look at the data? And he's not wrong. You do. Uh, I'm not knocking that. I'm just I'm commenting on the fact that there's a real compulsion to sort of um, play that character when in reality, sure, we're going to look at the spreadsheet, but we are also governed to a large extent by some of this like pre-programming that's built in. So this guy who ha- you know has six months of work booked. That's the data says that he's still feeling the need to you know underbid something to get it into the production schedule and move on to the next thing. It's just interesting. That's right. And then when you put all that, like I said yes to this and lowered the price here, and you do that over and over and over again, what's that result in? A team that's overworked, reactive, plates way too full. They're stressed out, just overwhelmed. They don't trust their leader because he's going to say yes to another thing. It's going to land on their plate and like create more anxiety and chaos. It just begins to spill out the toxicity. Um, And that's a problem. So lasting change, you have to bring awareness to the deeper stuff that's informing the bad behavior. We put together a Taming the Chaos starter pack, or you put this together. If any one of those patterns that we just went through, you know, getting it done will make you feel safe you know, uh, overusing a skill, a myopic understanding of success, what ha- I'm forgetting a couple. The, if, if any of those relate to you, if any of those resonate with you, this starter pack would be a good place to begin. Take us through, uh, you, you've you've prepped this offline. Take it, I think there's some books. I think there's yeah. some reflection practices, a couple other things. Just take us through this um, as you see fit. Yeah, so with all of these, as I share, I want to first state what I think are the goals of doing this. So 
It's to bring awareness first, to bring awareness to your brand of chaos, whatever that looks like for you inside. Bring awareness to that without judgment and self-condemnation, a lot of curiosity. So that's first goal number one with all these things. Number two, to learn how to disrupt it, not to eradicate it. I think that's a foolish endeavor to try to eliminate all of these things. It's to bring awareness to it so that you can disrupt it with kind, sustainable practices so that Third, you create safety for yourself and those you are leading or sharing your life with. So a few books that I would recommend that are one's a oldie but a goodie, uh, Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute. Um, they look at all the ways we are blind to ourselves, all the things that we know, our blind spots at work and at home, and how those things sabotage what we want for ourselves, for the business we're creating, our team, all of it. Another book, Leading or Leaders Eat Last, Why Some Teams Pull Together and Others Don't by Simon Sinek. This book's all about building trust, cooperation, self-esteem within your within the hull of the boat, if you will, that you're that you're captaining. Um, and when you do that with a group of people, create trust and cooperation. You can throw up a sail and go just about anywhere, go through just about any waters, right? So focuses on that. Third book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm -hmm. um, what I love about this book is it is rooted in identity-based habits, creating identity-based habits. So if you want to become a less reactive leader, if you want to become more trustworthy and cooperative, like those kind of identity-based outcomes for who you be in the world, um, this would be a good book to step further into and bring some real practical energy to that. And then the fourth book uh, is called Burnout, How to Complete the Stress Response Cycle. It's by two sisters, uh, the Nagoski sisters. It's a book that they wrote for women. Uh, I love it when I recommend this book to a client and they're like, hey, I get an email. I just got one last week from a client I'm like, hey, this was, this was written for women. Are you sure you want me to read this? Like, yeah, I, I definitely want you to read it. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like it should be required reading for human beings, the first third especially. Um, it really helps you learn to understand the language of the body and to begin practically speaking that language for yourself, whatever that may look like. Um, huge, helpful resource for me personally, especially during the pandemic. Um, so that's books. The self-reflection practice that I would want to encourage is rooted in this idea of the magic quarter second. We talked about this uh, before the call. So for those of you who don't know what the magic quarter second is, um, in your brain, before you make a movement to go do something, you know, whatever that may be, what you're, whatever you're gonna eat for lunch, the cigarette you're gonna smoke, the email you're gonna send off to your partner, whoever it is, whatever it is, um, we don't become aware of our intentions uh, for a quarter of a second before that action begins, we're not even aware of it, which brings into question free will a little bit. Right. <laughs> um, we then have another quarter second before that action begins. So the beauty and the magic of that quarter second is if we learn how to become aware of what's going on in that space before the action begins, before whatever that may be, we actually become more powerful agents of our story. And by story, I mean the way we choose for our lives, our businesses, 
our relationships, what we're building and creating. It's a beautiful part of what distinguishes as distinguishes us as, as creatures here on, on this planet. So that's why I love reflection practices. It slows you down. It stretches out that magic quarter second. One that I love is called the Monk Manual, M-O-N-K, monkmanual.com. Check it out. It's all about integrating who do you want to be, who do you wish to become, and what doing activities support that. Most of my clients, this is required. Most of my clients do not have reflection practices in their life. This is a very simple exercise. It's only supposed to take uh, 10, 15 minutes a day, but it pays back tremendously, especially if the priorities are really well, well dialed in. Uh, and then I've got a few body-focused rituals. So uh, this one, this first one, is very short. It's called box breathing. Maybe you've heard of it. Yep, I've done it. It's good. What I love about this is, again, it's, it's a quick way to help your nervous system, your body, get to a more calm state. So right before, I did it right before I came on this call, you know, because it's like, you know, these things are, the, it's game day. Like I, I want to, I want to be in my body. I want to be calm. I want to be grounded. I want to be in my thoughts. I want to have those thoughts available to me. So I did some box breathing and all that is, is um, you breathe in on a four count, you hold your breath for four counts, you release that breath for four and then hold it again for four at the bottom. So it shapes a box and you visually imagine yourself going around a box, breathing in for four seconds, holding for four, out for four, hold for four, and you just do that for two minutes. If you can make it for five, even, even better. I recommend whole teams do this together, especially if they reach a point of conflict. Instead of everyone just like, you know, after this, I'm done, walking away. like. Take a pause. Someone have the courage to say, hey, can we breathe together? Can we just take a breath together and walk everyone through an exercise? It will pay back tremendously for you and a team that learns how to do this together. What, what does it do? What, what does it do for a leader, like someone doing it individually or a team doing it together? Like, can you maybe just give us like a, you, breathing exercises get talked about a lot. We get, give yeah. us sort of the practical, the practical outcome or benefit of, of doing that in the middle of an intense meeting or in the middle of a busy day. When we see one thing rather narrowly, we miss the whole story. So an example recently, I, I got an email from someone that was really hot and it was a personal email, um, all kinds of things in it that really triggered some anger and like just a flood of that energy inside me. And I know if I responded to that email in that moment, I would have made things worse. It would have been hot, just as hot back. And I knew all the ways I would do it. I drafted that email six times and I knew I could take them out. I chose not to. I right. chose to like, no, that's not what I want for this relationship. The same kind of thing within a business meeting. If everyone's seeing red or if the conflict's so high, you are not going to see the potential avenues towards a better story collectively. Mm. So you have to learn how for yourself, and you can do this without even anyone knowing in a meeting that you're doing it because it only takes a minute or two. Literally, there's research that shows your heart rate, your blood pressure, the hormones that are about stress, they lower 
when you simply focus on your breath. And for many, it's like, what? I mean, is that going to really make a difference? Try it. Do it for a prolonged period of time. See how it impacts how you feel in your body during stressful meetings or at the end of a day. It's interesting. It I, will I always pay back. The visual I always think of is like uh, the gauge. On, oh, I'm going to forget. There's a speedometer. There's an odometer. <laughs> then there's the one that shows you the rev count. Yeah. You know, RPMs. And yeah. RPMs. Well, that, that's the unit, but what's the, anyway, I'll look this up later. I don't know. <laughs> the RPM-ometer. <laughs> that one, there's all, you know, depending on your car, there's, it might go to 5,000, it might go to 8,000. If it's a diesel, it's going to be lower, but there is a range where it's red and that they put it there and to show you mm. the driver, hey, you're running the vehicle too hot. You need to shift that's into right. a higher gear. You need to take your foot off the accelerator, whatever. That's right. I always, right. I've always found that as a compelling visual, and I know I've, start, I've started to. I'm not very good at it, but I've, I've started to really pay attention to when my RPM-ometer emotionally gets into the red zone. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm f- Like, if I continue <laughs> anything at this stage, it's going to make yeah. it worse. And I'll yeah. notice, one thing I'll notice, like, the email's a good example. It's like, if I'm, like, on the keyboards being like, bah, 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 you know what I mean? Like, doing, like, the keyboard warrior thing yeah. to, like, a coworker. <laughs> It's like I'm literally like doing a Twitter fight with someone who I work with every day. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm yeah. like, okay, this is a problem. Like I probably should just maybe just mark that as unread, set a timer. I'll come back to that in an hour and see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. But I think yeah, just and you're, go ahead. And you actually probably achieve what you're trying to ultimately get to with the response, I'll, at least better than you would if you responded an I'll hour earlier. Yeah. Right. Nothing shows anger like a misspelled, half-baked Slack message to a coworker. Totally. Like, this is- yeah. And in these moments, if someone would have asked me, like, with that first email, I wanted to respond with, like, hey, do you really want right now to become an Right. Like, truly, do you really want to become an right now? Like, yeah. of course not. <laughs> yeah. Of course not. Like, no one wakes up thinking, I- I'd really like to grow that part of myself today. Right. Uh, but it just happens. Right. Uh, and so <laughs> let's... Let's like encourage practices that that stretch out that quarter second that allow us to be more grounded and calm in our bodies and in our thinking and in our choice making together. It'll it'll pay back if we learn how to do that over time. So box breathing, uh, the other practice, your daily start and your daily ending. Mm. What are the first five things that you do at the start of a day habitually without even thinking about it? You know, most of us. I'm guessing reach for our phones, we check our feeds, we look at our email, we look at our calendars, it just, and then the tasks and the to-dos and all that energy is off and running, right? Or it's like news feeds, distraction, distraction, or it's Facebook, distraction, distraction, right? It has very little to do with grounding us in a calm, confident, kind, connected individual who's about to meet the day, right? This is huge right now, I think, in our culture the way we start and end a day matters. If you bring awareness to this and over time, you're going to mess up. You're, you're going to fail at this again and again, early on, especially. But if you begin over time to identify, I'm going to do these five things. I'm going to eat well in the morning. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm going to use something else to wake me up in the morning. I'm not going to look at any technology for the first hour of my day. I'm going to read. I'm going to reflect. I'm going to have a conversation over a cup of coffee with my partner, whatever it might be. I'm going to go for a run. I don't care what it is, as long as it brings you to a place of calm, confident, kind-heartedness, presence to help you meet and, and step into the activities of the day. And the same on the back end. 
so that you can leave that stuff behind and where it belongs mm. in that day. Don't there's carry it into your sleep. There's like a there's like a closing ceremonies for your day as well. Yeah. Yeah. A daily it's more, it's more than just brush your teeth. Like it's uh <laughs> yeah. read a page of this book or I pray or I do it's whatever. Like you, you can make it yep. your own, can't you too? Make it your own. Right. Make yeah, it because, your own. You know, this is interesting because this whole like morning ritual thing I think is um sort of like the like the cold plunges has gotten a little out of hand. Like it's sort of become the morning ritual Olympics where it's like, well, I actually get up four hours before my first meeting totally. and I and I read two <laughs> books and I run a marathon uh-huh. and I do five guided. It's like, oh my God. Right. Okay. Right. I, I, so I get up and I have coffee and I try to get some sunlight in my eyes. I'll have my athletic greens and I usually read 10 pages and I'll, and I'll have a, I'll have a visit with April. And I'm like that, you know, that actually works for me. Beautiful. That's good enough. Like, I I'm, right. not, I'm not out there like doing the polar bear swim every no. single day. Right. So and I, you I guess what I'm point. asking like, is permission to like, we, we can dial. I don't need to get stuck on the competition over who has the better longer, who's getting up the earliest thing. It's like you, you no. can, you can customize it to fit your lifestyle and your own rhythms. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm so glad you said that. Cause if your eyes are looking outside of you, like who's doing what and how can I re- like replicate that? Yeah. You know, that's why cold plunging and everything is big right now. It's yeah. like, Oh, it works for that person. They su- they're super successful or whatever. Like, yeah. not that that stuff, it might be good for you. You'd like choose that if that's going to be good for you. But it's not a competition. But yeah. And what you just named is just beautiful. Like what a beautiful way to start your day. Yeah, that's good enough. What a like a, a gentle invitation into the day. Yeah, totally. It's great. I feel good when I do that. Uh, okay, so those are the body focus ones, box box breathing, start starting and ending your day. Uh, any others? Yeah, there's one that I would encourage you to do for the sake of your team, and it's called making safety. Again, this is a really, you know, this could be an ethereal world, uh, word if we don't like land it into something. Um I want for you as a small business owner, entrepreneur leader to begin thinking about how can I show up with my humanity, my wholeheartedness, my vulnerability around the areas that are about my growth that I know will benefit on some level my team. So for example, um, I've got a client who sends emails way into the evening and the feedback that he's received is like, we don't like getting those emails, puts pressure on us to keep working. We wish they would stop. Um, I it just it stresses me out. So with that data, having to go to his leadership team and saying like, "Hey, I know I'm the biggest offender when this when this happens. I know you all also do it. Um, I'm changing this behavior for myself. I'm not sending emails to anyone after 6 p.m. I'm sorry for the ways that it's impacted you. I'm working on changing that because we all need to know when enough is enough. So kind of coaching him through like, I want you to step into the vulnerability of sharing that part of who you are why you need it and two they need it because it says to them oh it's okay to be human and don't we want to like first and foremost be humans Mm -hmm. doing this work together like that's a beautiful story so like to teach that um, another good example uh technology uh him this is a the same gentleman checking email texting constantly on his work phone well into the evening. So he's at home with his family, but he's not really at home. He's working in his mind. Um, No boundaries around technology. So, um, hey team, I'm gonna step into this this making safety moment. He doesn't call it that, but like this is what it is for him. 
I'm going to let you all know that um, I'm going to get a second phone. This is going to be for work only, and this one's going to be for my personal life only. Um, I, I'm going to leave this phone at home because I have really bad boundaries, or at work, I have really bad boundaries around technology. And you all know it. You all know it. And if anyone else is interested in doing this with me, we can do this together and experiment together. Um, the company will pay for it. Uh, because I take that seriously for myself now, and I want you all to take it seriously, seriously too. So there's a few things like that, you know, a few guidelines that go along with it. Like there's got to be one or two people on the leadership team that has that phone number so that they can call you and say, hey, Code Red, we need your help. Um, but it's a very limited. That, that personal phone is just for family and friends. It's just for those that you really do want around your bed someday. <laughs> but the you know, but the idea away. here with with making safety whether it's whether it's by admitting you need a second phone or it's it's stopping sending emails at 7:30 p.m. is 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 what what it's it's showing to the team that you have stuff to work on also and and by totally. doing that it's okay to for them to have stuff to work on also totally Ex exactly that's what it's about because when you show it and you demonstrate it it allows them to do that the last thing you want is a group of people who are following you, but they're not bringing their, their full self. They're not bringing their best self. They're also living in their own kind of isolated bubble, self-preserving, somewhat anxious and fearful themselves about their own performance, insecure. You want them to feel safe, connected, confident in what they bring to the table, capable of like saying, here's what I'm not good at. Can I get some help? Mm. Or I just made a mistake. I'm sorry. Like, I need to own that. And how can I learn from it? Like, you want those kinds of team members. Because if they are, they're going to stay with you a long time. Right? Have you reflected on the balance there on the leader's front? So here's here's the question. Great question. One is I'm totally measured and controlled and polished and I don't let any of this stuff out. The other is I'm actually I pro I'm probably oversharing here. I'm actually giving you <laughs> I'm actually giving I'm actually making it too safe, right? Totally. Here's like and it's four things. Here's actually... like four things that I'm working on, and low key it's actually six, and you all know it. And now everyone's going, is this person competent? Like why why is he the leader then if there's this much yeah. stuff going on? So. That's that. That's a tricky question. What's what's the that's a tightrope walk because on one end you alienate your people and it's it's cold in the building and people don't trust you like your client you were referencing <laughs> earlier. On the other end of the spectrum, it's basically a standard slipping situation where it becomes a bit too much of a free for all. It's a bit too feely, it, totally. too touchy feely, and not results focused enough. So I'm being long winded, but how do we kind of really nail the balance there? Yeah, it's it's. Too touchy feel you. And another way of saying is saying that is it, it got really awkward. Right? right. And part of the reason those moments happen is the leader hasn't spent enough time within themselves and and with someone or someone's outside of that moment to really examine that before they bring it for the first time to their team. Or it's just been unexamined and I'm opening these up in front of everybody. And it just does not feel like. I mean, we all know it in our guts. Like this was, th that was too much. You crossed a line. You, right. you, 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 we know it, right? And so for the leader, it's, you need to have a place outside of these circles where you're most visible in your leadership to process these things, to understand what your growth edges are. Right. What it really means for you to press into those. And then when you bring it to your team to make safety 
there's the message is like, oh, this guy's taking this really seriously. And he's like doing something about it. He spent some time thinking about it. Right. Like, I respect that. Right. I want to, I want to be about that myself. That's different uh, than processing out loud for the first time right. in team. Right. Huddle. Right. When yeah. you're having like a breakdown or you're just like yeah. losing it or the anxiety is like spilling out and you're just like an absolute mess and disaster. And you're like, I got to do something about this. Yeah. Like that's no, that's yeah. oversharing. That's too much. You need some boundaries around that. You need some care around that. Um, preferably something that someone that's professional enough to help you with that. But making safety, showing your humanness is, is inevitably a good thing for the, the, the cohesion of the team, the longevity of the employee, the trends, the trust level between people on it, all that stuff. Can you talk more broadly um, here as we come to a close about like the, the benefits that you see leaders start to enjoy as they do this work. I mean, both again, both on the business front and then both on the personal front. Talk about the newfound joy that they were robbed of before, the lifestyle improvements, the relational stuff, what have you. The two benefits that I think just surface, and it's not instant. It takes some time. It takes some, I've seen this. I'm applying it here. There's this gradual story of transformation that's happening consistently or gradually over time. They begin to really enjoy their life more. It might get a little worse before they get there because they're having to make some hard choices and step into the conflict and tension and the awkward vulnerableness of it all. But they begin to enjoy their life more and the story they're creating. They can breathe a little easier. I got an email just last week like uh, from a client. I stepped into my week and I felt light. I felt lighter, like I was ready for the week, ready for what's in front of me. This is someone who literally described the chaos inside him as the boogeyman that was out to get him the moment he woke up. <laughs> like, so to say something like that, like, that's no small thing. Right. That's, that's a, the mark of really good work that he's done to change his story. Yeah. Right. So learning to, like, I, I enjoy the person I'm becoming. I'm, I'm enjoying what it means to be in my body, my mind. I'm feeling my life more. I'm connected more in an integrated body, mind, heart kind of way. I'm not just a mind solving problems in this business, mm-hmm. you know, acting like a machine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a whole human being. And that has very tangible elements to it. My, my spouse likes me more. <laughs> we, we actually had an evening that was like delightful. Um, I learned how to shut it off and actually be home with my kids. I played like any number of metrics like that. I think for you as the individual are a beautiful thing. Or here's another one. Like I was able to say yes to the right thing. And it wasn't rooted in um, reactive energy. I said yes, because it aligned with who I am and what I know this business is about. And that meant I had to say no. And I had a hard conversation to that team meeting. And it was a beautiful thing. Like these kinds of things, they begin to emerge, right? You start creating and writing the story you want. You become the person that you want to become. And then the second piece is people around you, the team, your your closer relationships, like they sense to feel, they, that seeps into them as well. That's how we are created as human beings. We regulate each other in that way. Our nervous systems respond to each other in that way. If you're more like... If the, if the guy in charge or the gal in charge, you know, if your pilot came on the PA and was like, you know, I'm freaking out here. I know, like, you probably don't want to hear that right now, but uh, the engines just got hit by birds. It's never happened to me before. I'm not sure what to do. So I'll get back to you when I figure it out. 
Like, you know, you want, you know, hey, this happened. Um, we're okay. We're going to be diverting over here. Like, you want to hear that calm reassurance because that helps our bodies also feel calm and reassured. And then, man, like, I trust you. I, I feel like we can lean into this, this hard thing, this day, this month, this plan, this idea together. That's a beautiful thing. And, and I think that actually, if someone did the math, you could measure it. Because after a while, there's a window of tolerance. I can't take this anymore. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm going to another ship where that leader looks like they can handle this a little bit better. I can't do this anymore, right? This happens all the time. And we know it costs a lot of money to find the person, train the person, all of that, that, that's just so much energy, so much money and resource that goes into that. What if we create stories that people just want to stay in? Mm-hmm. Ourself included. Because sometimes, yes. it, it, sometimes it's not the employee that leaves. It's, it's, it's the entrepreneur that just goes, I got to jettison all of this. And I'm just going to yes. blow up my life here and recreate Hit it the over new there. Button. Yeah, totally. That's right. Yeah. Right. And that's not a good story. Beautiful story is we're all in this together. I see you, you see me, we're building this together. We're celebrating the wins. We're, we're, we're suffering the losses together, but we're on this ship together. And that's a beautiful net. That's a beautiful thing. John, we gotta, we gotta wrap this up, but where do people get in touch with you? Where do they follow along? Where kind of, where are you located on cyberspace? At our website, in a liminal space.org. That's where you can find us. You can email me to john at in the liminal space.org. Um, liminal is spelled L I M I N A L. We didn't even talk about that word. It's a cool word. Um, it literally translates threshold from the Latin. Um, so that space where there's waiting and not knowing, where there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of like, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's a beautiful place to show up into and like really bring to bear our, our, in, like where are we being invited to step into at that threshold? Yeah. And, so, and like you, you t- t- take him in here and just, and just describe like who, who, the type of people you work with and what you work with yeah. them on. I mean, we've, we've kind of danced around this, the whole conversation, but just very explicitly, yeah. like, what are you up to there? My primary work is with business leaders, entrepreneurs, managers, um, and their teams as well. So there's individual work and teamwork. Um, and a lot of it has to do with leading through change, um, who they're becoming in, in the story they find themselves in um, that has a lot of chaos externally and internally. So personal and professional development within the context of whatever business it is that they own and run or lead within. Um, so that's the bulk of the work that I do. And so there's individual work, teamwork, we do retreats, that kind of uh, multifaceted conversation that takes place in a really fun way when you can step into a, a longer period of time, like on a retreat. Awesome. We will link all that stuff below um, in the description. You can check that out. And uh, dude, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and, and prepping for this and having this conversation. Thanks for being here, John. Yeah. Thank you, Benji. So fun. Appreciate the time. We'll do it again soon. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.